0: Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing, New Testament Baptist church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit eagledrivebaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. Chapter 3 is where we'll be tonight. Uh, I want to review kind of quickly what we've talked about thus far. I really hope you've enjoyed this series and this study. Uh, It's been one of my favorite studies that I've done thus far in God's Word. Uh, I've learned a lot. Uh, I talked to Brother Allen before we had started this, and he had told me this one of his favorite books in the Bible. And then as I started doing it, I said, I think it's one of my favorite books as well, just because of everything that I've learned within this series. So I'm very thankful for that. And I want you to understand, I I made this point last week that if we understand the truths of God's Word, it shouldn't give us a big head. And what I mean by that is a lot of times people uh, start gaining a lot of knowledge about God and about the Bible. And, and what they tend to do is they have a big head of all of their knowledge of all the things that they know about God's Word. And they, they kind of lord it over you and, and let you know how, how great they are and how much they know about the Bible. But the more knowledge we have of God and His Word should not do that to us. What it should do is humble us. Because there's so much about God that we're learning, that we're receiving. And, it, and that's, that's one thing that it's, it's kind of done for me. It's humbled me as I've, as I've learned some of these truths and I've gotten to know Christ on a much deeper level. And one of my favorite services, or probably my favorite service that we have at the church, is our Wednesday night Bible study. And it's because it's very deep doctrinally. Uh, we're going verse by verse and just studying God's Word. Uh, this is our 20th week in Ephesians and we still won't finish this chapter of chapter three, which is halfway point of the book. Um, but I don't, um, I'm not ashamed of that because I'm really just trying to make sure we understand the truths that are in God's word. And I was sharing with some people this week, even to my dad, some of the things that I've learned, some things that um, I've never seen before. And it's very easy for pastors and preachers and missionaries and whoever to kind of skip over things. Uh, what I mean by that is there's certain passages of Scripture that seems to be the those famous passages that we have to preach on. And I've been guilty of that, uh, but that's why I really love this series because it's forced me to go verse by verse and really understand what God is trying to give us through the Apostle Paul. And as we even learned last week, and it's probably something new to most of us, it was definitely new to me, that one of the purposes of the church is to teach angelic beings, the wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God. That is something I've never heard in my life. Uh, but as I did study of God's Word through different commentaries and just reading God's Word, also you can reference that to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10-12, through 12, you see it clearly that, that that is the intent, one of the intents of the church, because the angels don't have all wisdom, they don't have all knowledge. Only God is omniscient. Only God is all-knowing. So even when God created the world, He didn't unfold the mystery of what was to come, the mystery of the church, to the angelic beings, and it clearly states that they are watching us, learning from us God's wisdom, God's grace, God's richness, and all of these things, and it's amazing things. So it's very important to make sure that we are being the church that he has called us to be. And when you break down Ephesians, quickly by review, and you can break it down into two categories. We have the first three chapters, which I think we might have this in your notes, but the first three chapters is all about, anybody know? It's all about what? The gospel, thank you very much. Uh, It's all about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And the key to this is that you are not who you used to be. If you're saved, aren't you glad that you're not who you used to be? I'm glad that I'm not who I used to be. Even though I was saved as a young kid, I'm so thankful that I'm not that person anymore. So chapters 1 through 3 is all about the gospel. And chapters 1 through 3 is very deep in theology, very deep in theology. And it's it's, honestly, it's, it's a book that I've shied away from in the past just because I knew how deep it was theologically. And I think it scared me a little bit until I started studying. And it's just like, wow, there's just a treasure chest of richness here, understanding who we are in Christ, that Jesus Christ is our identity. And that's the key, understanding that we're not who we used to be. And then chapter four through six, it's what the gospel produces. So what I mean by that is this. Chapter four through six is all about the application. So one through three is about learning the gospel, learning these doctrinal theological truths. Chapter four through six is about putting into practice. So I can't wait until we get there and we're going to spend a lot of time within those last three chapters. And the key to this is this, don't live like you used to live. So one through three is you're not who you used to be. So since you're not who you used to be, if you're saved, if you're a Christian, don't live like you used to live. And remember, what is the the key title of this series? Anybody? Identity. Very good. We should have had a question like that maybe next week just to see who's who's truly been paying attention since it's in your notes every week. The key to this series is our identity in Christ. That is very, very important. Uh, The Christian life is not behavior first. Let me explain what I'm talking about. It's not about what you're supposed to do. The focus often tends to be very performance driven when it's all about what we're supposed to do. But that's not the primary focus of the scriptures. The primary focus of the scriptures is our identity. What Jesus is saying of who we are and how we're supposed to live. And this is Paul's message throughout this great book in Ephesians. Here's who you are. Not who you were, not who you were, not who you were, but what God has done for you now. And again, it's It's an amazing book. It's an amazing study. And if you really want to grow doctrinally and foundationally, then I encourage you to come every Wednesday night. If you don't have a chance to come, uh, we do live stream sometimes. And if we don't live stream, uh, we have a podcast as well, which all of the messages will go on the podcast. I think you can download that in the App Store or the Google Play Store. Uh, You can also go on our app and find the sermons. And I really encourage you to, to look at this. But remember, and again, this is kind of review. But remember that if you're saved... You have a new nature. There is a new nature. This might not be in your notes. This is stuff that you can just remember and write down if you want. But we have a new nature. What I mean is, uh, I think 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So we have a new nature. Our new nature is that Jesus Christ has come inside of our heart, right? He's come into our life. He has saved us. He has set us free from what? What does he set us free from? Sin, the bondage of sin. And as I've said many times, so many of us uh, still try to be enslaved to sin when Jesus Christ has set us free. So we have a new nature. Now, please understand this. Once you become a Christian, it is not your nature to sin. Now, stay with me. This might go against what you've heard in the past, but this is scriptural. And people have said, oh, he preaches a false doctrine. I don't preach a false doctrine. I preach exactly what the Bible gives me, and I tell what the Bible says. So once you become a Christian, it is not your nature to sin. It still might be a habit to sin, but it's not your nature. It's not natural for a Christian or a saint, as Paul refers to us in Ephesians chapter 1, to sin. It's not natural. But why do we still sin? Because we have a flesh, right? And there's a war between the spirit and the flesh. If you don't believe me, then turn quickly to Romans chapter seven. Romans chapter seven. This is another great, deep theological book that we will get to one day. Romans chapter seven. This is kind of the Magna Carta of the Bible as some people refer to it. And so much about the grace of God within this book. Romans chapter 7, verse number 19. Look what Paul says. For the good that I would, I do not. Just flip the page, sorry. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Which basically, what, what is he saying? Let's put this into layman's terms. What is Paul saying here? Amanda, thank you for raising your hand. You're welcome. All right. What's, what's Paul saying here? Yeah. Things I'm supposed to do? I don't do those. Things I'm not supposed to do, it's kind of what I gladly do. Anyone like that tonight? I think many of us do that. Many of us struggle with that. We know that there's certain things, certain aspects of our life we should not do. I think every kid in here knows that if their parents said, clean your room, what are you supposed to do, kids? Clean your room. And I'm sure you guys always do it, right? Good, I'm glad you guys didn't lie in church. That's good, because Nate would have called you out. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But we know we're supposed to do those things, right? But how often do we not do them? There's many times we don't do them. There's many times in my life I know what is right, but I don't do it. And that's what Paul is saying here in verse number 19. Continue on, verse number 20. Now, if I do that I would not, this is key. It is no more I that do it. What's he say? But sin that dwelleth in me. Now, this is key. This is important. Now, we're not staying in Romans tonight, but he continues on. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin, as he says back in verse number 20, It's not I, because I'm a Christian now. I'm a child of God. I'm a saint. It's not this new nature. It's the sin that is dwelling in me from my past, from my flesh. And there's a war. And again, I'm not going to go deep into this because it's another deep doctrinal discovery and truth that we'll we'll look at. But here's the point I'm trying to make. Our identity needs to be in Christ if we are saved. He has set us free from the bondage of sin. We have been set free. So Paul is reminding us to live like we've been set free, as I've illustrated many times. It's like, in a sense, we have tied ourselves up. I use that illustration of the, the pachyderm or the elephants when they used to train them in the zoos and the, and the carnivals and the circuses. What they used to do is they had a chain, a, a physical chain around them that was tied to a, a large stake. So in the mind of that ele- elephant, that pachyderm, they could not escape. They could not get free because it was a, it was a very heavy chain, over time, they, they uh, went down on the chain to, to the point where it was just a, a small rope and a, a wooden stake in the ground. Now, don't you think a giant elephant could escape that? Yeah, exactly, easily. But in their mind, they're like, there's no way I can escape. I'm tied down, I'm in, I'm in bondage, but all they had to do was kick themselves free. And in a sense, as Christians, that's what we do. Christ has freed us. He has set us free from sin, and what do we do? We choose to shackle ourselves back up. We choose to enslave ourselves when Jesus Christ has come and crucified that old nature. Uh, he has set us free. Uh, I was talking to, to Justin about this yesterday, and you know he gave the illustration of, in a sense that a lot of times as Christians, it's like we live in a fishbowl. And that's true. I think we live in a fishbowl, and I, I think I went a little bit further with that. I think here's what God wants us to do, to get out of the fishbowl and in a sense, what he's done is he's he's kind of opened up a gate in that fishbowl, and there's a whole ocean in front of us, but we choose to stay in that fishbowl. Why? All of the riches of God are out there, and God our Father, our Heavenly Father, is going to watch over us, going to protect us, going to help us, and yet we choose to stay within those confines of that fishbowl. Why? It's comfortable. But how foolish is it? And that's kind of what we do with our flesh. We choose to stay in our old nature, which has been crucified with Christ, as it says in Galatians chapter two, instead of being set free to live the way that God intends intends us to live. Look, the motivation of your Christian life should never be based on guilt, should never be based on fear, should never be based on obligation. There may be people here tonight that are here at church because of obligation, because of duty, because of fear, because of guilt. I understand that. There's been times in my life where I've been one of those people. Now I come partly because I have to, because I'm the preacher, right? But I want to, and I'm realizing and I'm learning in my own life that Jesus has set me free, and I've been saved for almost 30 years. I'm 35 years old. I got saved when I was four years old, almost five years old, and I was thinking about this today. It took me about 23 years to truly understand who I was in Christ. In the past seven years, it's been an amazing journey for me. It's an amazing journey that I'm discovering that Christ has set me free and he wants me to thrive and not just survive. He wants me to have joy, unspeakable and full of glory. He wants me to, to live the abundant life that he talks about in John chapter 10, verse 10. But what I've done in the past is I have burdened myself down with my past, with guilt, with fear, instead of allowing myself and the grace of God to be free to live the way that God wants me to live. And the motivation of our Christian life should never be based on those things because it's not going to produce lasting joy. I can look at people in this room, and I can spend a couple days with you, and I can see whether you're living your life based on guilt or fear or obligatory duties or whatever it is, or I can see if you're basing your life out of love. The love of Christ constrains us. The love of Christ is what should compel us to serve God, right? Compel us to do what God has called us to do. The love of Christ is the only viable and sustainable motivation for the Christian life. It's why we're here to live, Your motivation for Christian service should only be driven by love. And honestly, I I wish I could get across even in a better way what God has given me, what God has done for me, what God has shown me, what God has produced in me to other people. But it's not me forcing you. I'm just trying to give you what God has given me so that you can understand and you can be free to live the life that God has intended you to live. But the new nature that we have in Christ is empowered with might in your inner man. Turn to Ephesians chapter three, if you're not there. Ephesians chapter three, we're gonna be in verses 13, or 14 through 16 tonight as we continue this, this journey as Paul is giving this letter to us. Remember back in verse number one, he started, for this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. So Paul is starting in verse number one and then he spends two through 13 kind of going about the mystery of God. And then he gets back to verse number 14, for this cause I, what? I bow my knees unto the Lord, or unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what he's doing is he is praying for them. And we see an amazing prayer. We see an amazing prayer from Paul for the church. And it's a powerful prayer, I think, as I have in the title tonight. And I want you to understand something that I've said before. It's about our identity. We'll never understand who we are in Christ until we understand what? Who God is and what he's done for us. It's very important to understand who God is. It's very important to understand what God has done for us. And this is actually the second time Paul is praying in this letter thus far. The first time is back in chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And that time he's praying for enlightenment, that their eyes would be enlightened to understand all of the riches that they have in Christ. And now, here in chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, he's praying for enablement, understanding the power that they have through the Spirit, that inner man that is working. So when he says in verse number 14, for this cause I bow my knees. Now this is very important. This is this, this important wording kind of sets the tone for this main point we're going to get to tonight. Now Paul isn't telling us that this should be the posture in our prayers. Now don't get, don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying you shouldn't bow down and pray to God. But he's not saying that when you pray, you have to pray to God. He's not saying that. Because nowhere in Scripture does, is there a command of how you're supposed to pray to God. We're supposed to pray without what? Ceasing, without stopping. So we can't always have our knees bowed to God in prayer, can we? Especially when we're driving, that would be very dangerous. Please don't even try that. So that's not what he's saying here when, when he's saying, I bow my knee. But this is very important. But before I get there, understand this. Abraham stood before the Lord in his prayer for Sodom, Genesis eighteen twenty-two. Solomon stood when he dedicated the temple in 1 Kings 8.22. David sat before the Lord when he prayed for the future of his kingdom, 1 Chronicles 17. And then Jesus fell on his face in the garden. That's just a few examples. But typically Jewish prayers that were offered were offered standing up. The only time Jews knelt was when they were in the presence of their king. So this is important. Greeks did the same thing. So Paul is kneeling here. It's a sign that he sees God as what? His king, his sovereign. This idea is kind of a, a bit foreign in our American society because we don't have those dignitaries that when they come around, we actually kneel down before. In certain areas of the world, they do that. If the, if the king or, or queen comes or prince or you know some other political figure, they might kneel down. We don't necessarily do that in America. But again, this isn't about the posture of our, 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 ourselves in our prayer. This is about the posture of our hearts making sure that we're kneeling down in submission to God. Paul continues as he's bowing down. Let me, let me read these verses, verse 14. For this cause, I bow my knees into the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's praying to none other than God the Father, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. God is the Father over all creation. And he's talking, uh, uh, I think, to, to, to believers, to past to present. And now what we see over the next several verses, and it'll take the next couple weeks to look at this, is we see Paul's powerful prayer for the church. And I want you to look at this, verse number 16. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. So the point is this tonight. Paul is wanting us to have our spirit strengthen you internally. Let your spirit strengthen you internally. The word strengthen means to be made strong tough, enduring. It means to have energy or force, to act, to endure, to resist. But the word might also be used, power, means of force or energy or might. When Jesus left the earth, he did not leave us alone, did he? What did he leave us with? The Holy Spirit, who is our comforter. So he didn't leave us alone. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is an amazing study an overwhelming study when you think about it, but there's two very important principles of the Spirit's ministry. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is there to indwell within believers, to live inside, and to empower believers, to give us this supernatural power that is from on high, and this is good. It's not necessary for us to have to work something upward. We don't have to work ourselves upward to get this power. You know where this power comes? from on high, from Jesus, from heaven. And a power comes down to us. It's been sent down. Notice what Paul is praying in verse 16. He's praying this to be granted according to the riches of His glory. This is good. The word according means in proportion to. Here's an amazing thing about God's glory and riches. God doesn't give us power and strength and grace out of His riches, He gives it to us according to his riches. There's a key difference between the two. There's a vast difference between out of your riches and according to your riches. Now, let me try to explain what I mean. It's not the greatest example, but suppose I had a billion dollars. I'm a billionaire. That's hard to believe. I know. I'm barely a hundredaire. But suppose I have a billion dollars and I give you a portion of my money. I give you a hundred bucks. It's not a lot, right? I'm giving you a portion of it. But imagine I give you a proportion of my riches. I give you like $100 million. That'd be nice. There's an unlimited amount of money that I can give you, and instead of just giving you a small portion, I'm giving you out of the proportion. And again, I know it's a, it's a poor illustration, but what Paul is saying here is, God doesn't give us His grace, His goodness, His riches. Out of His riches, it's according to His riches. God's glory and power is vast, And Paul wants us to have the vastness of this power granted to us. And notice this phrase at the end of verse 16 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in thee. What are the last two words? Inner man. This is the deepest part of who we are, the deepest part of our being. This is speaking of our soul, our heart, our spirit. We need to be strengthened internally because it's the only way that we can overcome the flesh with all of its weaknesses. It's the only way to conquer temptation and sin. Troubles and trials, disease and suffering, grief and death, selfishness and worldliness, problems and circumstances. We need God's Spirit working in us and through us so that it can empower us to overcome the flesh and to be the person that Christ wants us to be. Look, the use of the power by the Spirit of the sinner man, it's an amazing thing. The Spirit empowers us to use His power. Remember Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus left this earth? What did he say? And you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. So God gives us the power, gives us his might, gives us the strength to do what he's called us to do. Now understand, this strengthening is not an outward strength. We're not going to be physically stronger with God's power. What's this power for? An internal strength. There's nothing wrong, again, with, with working out and trying to be strong like Samson or whatever. Nothing wrong with that, but I think sometimes we get it all wrong in our society that it's all about taking care of the outside, but what does God say? What does David say in 1 Samuel 16? Who does God look on the heart internally? So when God induces us with this power, the Holy Spirit comes down. He gives us the power to internally deal with our problems, and this strength is for the inner man our innermost being. Get this down. This is in your notes. Scripture tells us that our inner man can see, Psalm 119.18, can hear, can taste, can feel. It's up there on the screen if you need it. Must be exercised. We don't have time to look at all these verses. Must be cleansed and washed and fed daily and renewed. The inner man for the Christian is more real than this outer physical shell in which we pay so much attention to. We would be better off if we spent more time caring for our inner man, the part that only God sees, instead of worrying about our outer man, I'm not saying let your let your outer exterior go to waste. Please, just don't do that. We should still take care of it. But what I'm talking about is feeding our soul. How do we do that? By coming to church, coming to Bible studies, praying, reading God's word, feeding our soul, feeding that inner man, making sure our heart is clean, our our mind is clean. It's been reset, and in our in our everything else that we've talked about in our voice and all those things. Look, we need God's power to enable the inner man to be what he wants us to be. Think about this. This is Paul's prayer for the church. He's not praying for external things. He's not praying for bigger crowds and more money. He's praying for internal things. He's not praying that God would give you everything you need. He's praying that God would give you everything you need in your soul to be the person that God wants you to be. You know, more people, more money is not necessarily going to accomplish everything we need to accomplish. But a spirit that has been strengthened by God, renewed by God, fed by God, washed and made cleansed by God, that's going to produce what we need. God's power is amazing. When our inner man is strengthened, there will not be a limit to what we're willing to do or how much we're willing to give. Think about that. All of this flows from our heart. So when we're limiting our own resources, what needs to happen is that inner man needs to be strengthened again. D.L. Moody once said this, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. That's an amazing quote. And there's been a lot of men and women that have done amazing things for God. But just imagine if God had all of you. Not just your external being and not just, well, I come to church, I show up. If God had everything about you and you were truly seeking his unlimited, vast power to strengthen your inner man. You know, I think so often what we do with this power that's at our disposal, we only use it when we feel like we need it. Here's what I mean. You know, if your car, if the battery in your car ever dies, you have to get it jumped, right? Right. You have to hook it up to some other power source to jump you. And I think that's what we do sometimes with God. God, I need to be recharged. You need to jump me again. But as I was thinking today and studying and reading and and listening to a lot of different things, I started realizing that if we truly were using God's unlimited power, would we ever need a jump? But how often are we not using God's unlimited power to strengthen our inner man? And that's what Paul is praying for. I pray that God would give you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. God wants to renew us, to restore us. Sometimes this restoration, this renewal happens when we're aware of it and sometimes it happens when we don't even realize it it's like an illustration of you ever looked out your window on a dark and dreary day day today that's raining and you see all these clouds outside and it's you know kind of dark and overcast and then you go back a couple hours later and all of a sudden the clouds are gone that ever happen yeah it's happened to all of us right so what i mean is sometimes you don't even notice it all of a sudden you look and it's gone Sometimes you actually see it taking place. You see this renewal. You can feel the renewal. But it's very important to understand that we must wait on God's timing. How can we get this power? We must be fed through our inner man. If you want a healthy soul, then it starts with the Holy Spirit strengthening you internally. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 29, the Bible says this, He giveth power to the faint. (laughs) To them that have no might, He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We don't have to be weary in our Christian life. God will give us the power that we need if we just tap into the unlimited power at our disposal. It's very important for us to tap into it. It's very important for us to wait on God's timing. And if we wait on God's timing, He'll renew our soul Give us everything we need. I read this today, and I don't know who said it. But the quote was this, if God took the Holy Spirit out of this world, listen, if God took the Holy Spirit out of this world, most of what we Christians are doing would go, ar- would go right on. And nobody would even know the difference. How sad is that? That's very sad. If God removed the Holy Spirit, and he's not going to, but if God removed the Holy Spirit from us, then most of what we do as Christians, most people would never be able to tell the difference. Why is that? Because they're not allowing the Holy Spirit to strengthen them, to renew their inner man. God has given us his Spirit to strengthen us, to renew us, to tap in to the great... Unlimited, the limitless, and that's that's the that's the next blank. Here's what I mean. Uh, the power of God is limitless. It means there is no end to God's power. His power is unlimited, unequivocal, means it leaves no doubt, it's indisputable, it's unmatched. So if God's power is limitless, then why aren't we tapping into his power more often? Why do we seemingly only use it when we need a jump start on our own batteries? And look, I'm just as guilty as the next person because what happens is I rely on God heavily when I really need him, when I'm going through difficulty, and then I tend to rely on myself when I don't need him. Anyone like that? Yeah, many of us. But God's power is there, and what would happen if we were always reaching up for God's power? What would happen? Seriously. (laughs) The world has yet to see an individual like that. Well, it can't happen because, oh yeah, it can. We choose not to let it happen because we choose to bound ourselves up in sin. We choose to live based on our past and not on our present, not on our future. We choose to not tap in to God's unlimited power. We choose to complain and criticize and, and be bitter and angry over a lot of things instead of just enjoying who God wants us to be and understanding who God wants us to be and being the person he's called us to be. Man. God's power is much like His grace; it's limitless. So let me ask you a couple of questions. I want you to answer, and we'll close out here in just a minute. How can you continue improving the strength of your inner man? How can you continue improving the strength of your inner man? Anyone? What? Pray. How else? Daily in God's Word. What were you can say yeah. What else? What? Quoting scripture? Yeah. How else? What else? Loving others? Yeah. I mean, the list is endless, is it not? Probably oh, got something. Sharing the gospel, that's an important thing. It's kind of what we've been learning on Sunday nights the past month. The list is limitless of everything that God has given us in his word. And it's not that we're bound to all these rules that we have to do this. We have to check it off the box. We should do it because of our love for God. So if we're not doing it Do we really love him the way that we claim to love him? As I use the illustration many times with my wife, if I just say I love her all the time and never show her, she's going to start thinking I don't really love her. But how often do we do that with God? I love you, God. I'm here in your church. It's good enough, right? I pay my tithes and the preacher's always harping on giving money. I did what I'm supposed to do. That's not love. That's duty. That's obligation. The love of Christ should compel us. Can you overcome the weakness of your flesh in your own strength? It's a simple answer, no. Then why do we try so often? Instead of reaching up for God's power and letting Him, in a sense, just jumpstart us once and for all so that we're just on fire for God. Look, It's important to come to church, not so we can get jumpstarted again, but really just so we can be equipped and help us to know more of what we need to do and how we're supposed to live. Look, the power of God is what helps us find our identity. It's what helps us get through life. It's what helps us learn and understand that we're no longer enslaved to sin. We're no longer in bondage. We've been quickened or made alive. We've been set free. We have the power to thrive, yet so many of us choose to merely survive. How sad. And I've been there. I'm not saying I'm so much better than anyone. I'm just trying to do what I'm preaching. And I struggle so greatly with it. I struggle greatly doing what God has called me to do because I rely on my own strength and it's not much strength. Instead of relying on God's strength, his unlimited strength. This prayer is amazing. and the next couple of weeks or the next week or so, it's really going to truly be amazing as Paul concludes it all. Let me read this verse again, that he would grant you according to the riches of His glory. Not just some of it, but He wants to give all of it. To be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. Here's the core truth. Let your inner man be strengthened by God's limitless power.